As we continue in this, in this time, we are continuing our year for God's overflow and grateful for his overflow, but wanted to pay attention to how his overflow happens. And uh, I want to specifically bring you back to the homework I gave you the last time we were together and our Ash Wednesday and our Lenten things may give you an opportunity to answer some of these questions. What's the life-giving word or truth that God's speaking to you? What path or practices might be helpful? We'll be laying out a few during this time. And especially what community, what people, what person, what, what activities, what services, what individual meetings might be helpful. So the small groups, we're adding additional small groups. You can join some of the small groups. During Lent, those are one opportunity for that. Um, we have a number of opportunities for that. But those, I'm just bringing it back because sometimes we forget. By the way, I'd encourage you to take notes because I know people complain I'm a teacher. That means you need to take notes. So you remember what, what was uh, said. Because I know I put too much in. I make more than one point. And just a little brain science. If you don't do something with what comes in, it goes away. So I take notes. Even if I put them away, I remember much more. So, just a little note to you. Um, so, but our question for today, uh, health and healing. Uh, you can guess, since I had surgery recently and I'm still recovering, this has been uh, a question I've been thinking about lately. It's also a question I've been thinking about for a long time. And uh, some of my research was related to this. I've been wanting to do a series on this. I probably should have done it before COVID-19 made it relevant so we could have, uh, but anyways, we're going to talk a little bit about it today. Some of the big questions as well as the particular text, we're going back to Acts. So my question is, what's your question? That's actually my main question. But when it comes to healing and health and human flourishing, what, what questions do you have? Think about that a second. I got lots of questions. Um, can you think of one question and tell, tell your neighbor, what's one question you have? Turn around behind, there might be somebody, I know we're spaced out, it's a little harder, but uh, one question that you have about healing, health, um, flourishing, All right, what are you, I'm ready to take your questions, and I will not answer them all. There's a lot of mystery for me, too, so spoiler alert, I don't have all the answers. Not that you didn't already know that, but uh, somebody say a question they have about health or healing. Dave. Why do we not see more healing in the church today? More miraculous healing. Yeah, okay, good.
what's God trying to tell us with the pandemic? Okay, I'm going to actually try Dave's question on. Um, that one, I don't think I'm going to try on today. Um, but it's a great question, a question I've been asking too. Somebody else? Great questions. Why does God heal sometimes and not others? Mm -hmm. What's that? How can I wait? Yes, waiting is hard. And sometimes scripture is odd, like James 5 says, call the elders of the church and pray for those who are sick, anoint them with oil, and they will be healed. James 5, a few verses earlier, says Job is an example for us of perseverance. So is it perseverance, or call the elders and you'll be healed? Or is it both? But the waiting is very hard. Yes, yeah, somebody else. Expectation. What are you expecting? Where you're healing your health, what are you expecting the Lord to do? Good. Okay. I'm not going to take everybody's questions because I'm not even going to answer half of the ones that were already, already mentioned. I'll maybe take a stab at one of those. Um, but what is your question? So 2021 it was a year for healing community. And I don't know about you, but I got to the end of it and said, huh, I was hoping for a little more. Like I was hoping COVID would be done. I was hoping that community would be more restored and we would be more back to forgiving and together and united and less divided. And it seemed like by the end, we now have 900,000 plus people dying from, dead from COVID in just the USA. We have more division and, and disunity and less community, it feels like. And, there, so, and then as I reflected on this, I realized what I was actually hoping for was a year for healed community. I wanted us to be done, to be healed, to be finished, and to be now, not have to be sick, and uh, be all united and happy and wonderful and good together and I wanted healed community. And see, we're in this tension where we're, we know there's going to be a healed community, but we're in process now. We know Jesus came and did something. He healed people, but we also know he's going to heal people, and we're stuck between the kingdom already came, Jesus already arrived, and Jesus is coming, and he's bringing the kingdom. We pray your kingdom come, your will be done, because it's not all here yet. So we're in this healing process. And yet, when I look, I see that a lot of us were healed from COVID. A lot of us were, um, Pastor Mike was healed from cancer. Pastor Jim was healed from a widowmaker heart attack. We, I, I'm healing from what happened to me. I can just name a lot of you out here who I see who, uh, Vicki's back with us after her back surgery. There's a lot of things happening and have happened that we're rejoicing. We are a healing community. A lot of you have had challenges. You're, you're here. Some of you are still at home. Um, deal with things. My, my mom is watching. I asked my mom, so um, what should I pray for you for healing? She said, I think my healing is going to be walking with Jesus. She was praying for walking a couple years ago, 
Now she said, I don't, I don't, I'm not really praying for you. I'm praying to, be, to go be with Jesus. Is it okay to pray for that? Is that healing too? Um, so I'm picking up Dave's question here because it's one of mine too. Why don't we see Jesus healing now like in the gospel and Acts? I'm going to take a couple of... So I'm going big picture, and then I'm going to come down to our text. Uh, so starting with this big picture, because it seemed like we need to deal with this kind of elephant in the room. And this was a really short text, so maybe this was my chance to, to, to uh, get at this elephant in the room. Why don't we see Jesus healing now like in the Gospel and Acts? I'm going to throw out some ways that people have answered this question and then think about those questions. So it never happened. So there's a lot of people who say, you know, that was before they had science, before they knew things. People don't just jump up when they've been lame for eight years. They don't just not be blind when they've been blind their whole life. They don't just get raised from the dead. It never happened. Boltman, who's a great theologian, said, you can't believe in the electric light bulb and also believe in all those miracles in the New Testament. Um, there are people who feel that the Bible is just a bunch of fables. Right? Well, that just ignores the evidence. Because the historical evidence is there that these things happened. That there were eyewitnesses. There were many eyewitnesses. And you can say that never happens, but that's just closing your eyes to the evidence. And even now, when I talk to medical doctors who I know, they don't say miracles never happen. They don't say we understand everything that happens and everything happens because we make it happen. They don't say that at all. They see a lot of things happen they can't explain. And the Christian ones don't have to explain. They explain it with Jesus. So that it just ignores the evidence. Another one is it's no longer happening here and now. So some people say, you know, yeah, Jesus did heal and apostles healed, but that was just so we could get the Bible. And now that we have the Bible, we don't need any healing or miracles or anything anymore. That's a cessationist viewpoint that, you know, it, does, it happened, but it doesn't happen anymore. So don't expect it. And, or maybe not here now, like in Africa, it probably happens, but not here. So someplace over there, it happens. And, um, but that's, it is happening here and now. It does happen. We've seen it happen. I've seen it happen. My, my friend, Benesta, uh, I was with him, gave him, uh, cried with him, prayed with him because his daughter had just died. And he was so sad because... That daughter was the one he felt like God had returned to him for the one that died when he was on another mission trip. And, uh, and so he was going back to bury his daughter. I prayed with him. And uh, he went back, and his daughter was alive. And she had been dead for a while. The doctor and the nurse started coming to his church because they believed this was a resurrection. It does happen. It doesn't happen often. And it also doesn't just happen over there. I'll give you another piece of, of news from, you know, when you're over there. It doesn't always happen. People don't always get healed in Africa. And sometimes, so uh, a lot of people I was working with used to be, get some funding from T.L. Osborne. And every month they were supposed to, for $8 a month, they were also supposed to give reporting of what had happened. And on the sheet it said, so how many people were saved? How many people, blind people were healed? How many lame people were healed? How many, every month they were supposed to give a report about how many blind people got healed. The implication was, you should be 
saying some people got healed. And they, you know, some of the guys I talked to said, we stopped filling out those reports. We're like, give me money if you want to, but I, I'm not going to lie about what's been happening. Of course, T.L. Osborne could relate, look, I got these statistics from all these people who said that... Uh, so sometimes there's a little bit of shading the numbers. Somebody said, a great evangelist came. Mwanza was transformed. How come you didn't? And when I went and checked with people, I was like, well, yeah, I mean, that, they told them that was, you know, they've got the biggest reception everybody ever had when they came to Mwanza, but when the Pope came, they paved the road. I mean, anyway, sometimes the reports get evangelistic, evangelistic, maybe. Um, Sometimes it seems like it's happening over there because, and this is the case with anything, right? It's amazing over there. It's harder at home sometimes. And people are running to Florida, to Toronto, to some place where God's doing things. As if he's not doing things here. Maybe just not the way you want him to do things. Um, another is that bodies don't matter to Jesus. Only souls. So God's going to save your soul right now, and when you get to heaven, he'll take care of your body. He'll take care of your finances. He'll take care of your food. But right now, all he cares about is your soul. That's not true. Jesus cares about all of us, everything that's going on in our lives. And he cares about everything that's happening in your relationships, in your body. Bodies matter. Jesus came as a body, and he healed bodies. The apostles healed, but bodies matter because he made us whole people. And our language is messed up. We say people have a body as if we aren't a body. Isn't that who we are? Um, so your body and all of you matters to Jesus. You need more faith. Well, that's true. I do need more faith. I need to trust. It's hard to believe in the context we're in, in a very secularized context. But... Um, not a formula. I need to trust Jesus more. But I don't need a formula about how if I just had enough faith or said the name of Jesus loud enough or fasted and prayed well enough or did, was more holy or something, then Jesus would heal every time. You get what I'm saying? Or if I confessed properly, then the right things would happen. That's not faith in Jesus. That's faith in my formula. Faith in my words. Faith in how I have control of this. The truth is, a lot of us don't have enough faith to even ask. James says, you have not because you ask not. The other thing he says is, you ask, but you don't receive, because you ask it just to heap it on your own lusts, what you want for yourself. So, ask boldly. Ask boldly for God to heal, and then leave it to him. You can get in control either by not asking anything more than like guide the surgeon's hands and be with them and don't actually ask for healing, or you get the formula. In Jesus' name, this will happen. You will be healed. Are you asking? Or are you in control? If you ask, you're not in control. But God is. And then finally, I think another, we aren't really looking. I think we don't see Jesus healing now because we aren't really looking. And here's what I mean by that. Um, we see we have this division between the supernatural and the natural. Now, natural 
healing doesn't exist. Medical healing doesn't exist. The natural versus the supernatural is something we made up to try to put God in a box and have a part that we could take care of without depending on God. The Bible doesn't have any such thing as natural and supernatural. There is only one creator, life giver, healer, and it's Jesus. Any healing that happens, any life that happens, any birth that happens is because Jesus blessed us with that. Okay? If a doctor had something to do with it, if you, band, if you put a bandage on it, if you got better, it, Jesus did it. As Tenwick Hospital says, we treat, Jesus heals. That's a hospital in Kenya. And a lot of hospitals do that. In fact, why do we have hospitals? Because Jesus were, people were imitating Jesus and healing and building hospitals. More than half of the healing that happens in Africa happens through church hospitals. I went to surgery at St. John's. Why is it called St. John's? Because the Lutherans built it. All of our hospitals were built by churches and now taken over by business and government. And I don't think business and government are doing as well in the last less than a century than we did as churches. But it got expensive, so churches got out of that business. And, and then it got more expensive. Right? Um, normal is not coming back. Jesus is. I saw this on a Facebook post by somebody from high school who I didn't know I was even a Christian. But it's true. That if normal is the illusion that there is no sickness and we're fine and we're going to be in control, it's not coming back. But Jesus is coming back. Jesus is not here yet in the way he's coming back. So we're still going to have some things that aren't perfect. But Jesus is here, but he's also coming back to bring all of that that we're hoping for. Full healing and life and resurrection isn't going to happen here. But we're on our way. We've got signs. We see things happening that are signs of the kingdom that is here and is coming. Our research can reveal, it can also mislead. It depends on the questions and the methods. So part of what we do is we research only what we can test. And then we say that's all there is. If you say the only light there is is what I can see... Well, that was the case until we got better instruments and realized there's all kinds of other light that you can't see. The only sound you can hear is what I can't... Well, no, there's a lot of other sound that you can't hear. Right? Depends upon what kind of questions you ask, what kind of research you do. So I'm just going to give one example of flourishing, human flourishing studies at Harvard and a bunch of other stuff. A lot of research has gone into religious practices, but especially attendance at services has major positive health and flourishing benefits. So... This is from, uh, you can find it online at, I looked it up on the Harvard website. This is a Christianity Today article about empty pews are an American public health crisis. So there is a lot of good research that says, um, whoops, flipping that, I, I lost my page, okay. A number of large, well-designed research studies have found that religious service attendance so a lot of religious things are, are helpful. So people go, well, prayer is helpful, so I'll pray, but I don't know if I need to go to church. So religiosity does help with a lot of health outcomes. Also, 
um, social support and other things help, but religious service attendance beyond all those things is associated with greater longevity, less depression, less suicide, less smoking, less substance abuse, better cancer and cardiovascular disease survival, less divorce, greater social support, greater meaning in life, greater life satisfaction, more volunteering, greater civic engagement, and the evidence is getting stronger and stronger for those things. Let me give you a few examples from this article. Reduced health risks to regular attenders, so people who go to church every week, versus never attenders, or religious services. Now, most of these are Christians, so it's actually church. Versus never attenders. And these are some big studies, 70,000 people in the nursing study, et cetera. 33% reduced risk of death. If you could get a treatment that would give you 33% less chance of dying, wouldn't you take it? If you got a pill that said, you take this pill on a regular basis just once a week, and you will have a 33% less chance of dying. Would you not take that pill? How come it's not advertised? By the medical journals, by the people who say, well, you know, spirituality is a good thing to add on to our psychosocial nursing. Spirituality. 33% less chance. And this is good research. Like they were studying who went to church and then following them for 16 years and seeing who dies. 84% um, reduced risk of suicide. 29% reduced risk of depression. 50% reduced risk of divorce. Reduced risk, 68% reduced risk of deaths of despair for women and 33% for men. 33% reduced risk of adolescent illegal drug use. 12% reduced risk of adolescent depression. These are all things that come just from if you don't attend church or you attend once a week. Aside from whether you're part of some other group or other social support or other things that can be controlled for. Aside, you know, you following me? This is, of course, backwards in the sense that we don't come here to get stuff. We come here because Jesus is here. Um, because Jesus is here, there's some healing that happens. Now, explain, trying to explain why it happens. In some, there are a number of ways in which religious service attendance might positively influence a person's mental and physical well-being including providing a network of social support, offering clear moral guidance, and creating relationships of accountability to reinforce positive behavior. In church, each factor that causes well-being is enhanced by the combination with other factors. Unsurprisingly, each of these causes, social support, moral guidance, and accountability, is flagged as a role of the church in the New Testament. Right? We're supposed to keep each other accountable. We're supposed to forsake not the assembling yourselves together. Spur one another on toward love and good deeds. All those things that happen just in a religious attendance. That's beside all the other good things that happen, right? Meal trains and small groups and whatever else. So I just want you to see that one part of what I'm trying to say is healing is a, is a, a holistic thing. I, I talked with a, a nurse this week at, at Benjamin's uh, art show. And uh, she is also certified, it's not only art, and she's certified as a holistic nurse. She was talking about how arts and crafts can really reduce stress and help you. This, you know, obviously physical exercise, obviously being part of groups. All these things work together, physical. They can, so most of us just want a pill. I talked to my gerontologist niece, and she said, and then you give people one thing to do, and they don't do that. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, but... There, it's all complicated, but we want to just have the one pill, right? 
whether that's just come to the altar, have hands laid on me and I go away healed, or it's the pill that I can just take, and people are always looking for that. So much research is happening because, and it's especially happening on the things they can sell you. So that's one of the reasons research doesn't show up other things, because they can't put it in a pill and sell it to you at an outrageous price. We mostly research chemicals because we can sell them to you at an outrageous price. Or machines that we can sell at an outrageous price. So here's my next question. What's your real question? This is my big question. What's your real question when it comes to healing and health? Is the question, how do I avoid suffering and pain? That's a fair question. Right? But you know, I, I, it's interesting. Nobody ever tells me, you know, in the book of Acts, I see all these people getting beat up and getting thrown in prison and stuff. And how come that isn't happening to us these days? Nobody's ever asked me that question. We seem to want to avoid suffering and pain. We want the healing part. Right? Now, did Jesus promise us we weren't going to have suffering and pain? No. In fact, Jesus and Peter and Paul pretty much promised us we will have suffering and pain. Just in this world, you will have trouble. And if you follow Jesus, you're going to have additional suffering and pain. Is my real question, how do I get protection and provision and power and prestige for myself? Because like, if we could have healings happening here all the time, man, people would say Bethel Christian Fellowship is something. You got to go to Pastor Steve's church where they... Those are exactly the temptations that Jesus faced before he started his ministry and his healing ministry. To not be amazing. To not provide for himself. To not protect himself. To not get power for himself. And then he had to teach his disciples. Because they were really into, I mean, Peter was signing up. Like, oh, he healed that person through, cast out the demon, gave me a year's worth of fish. I'm up with him. Let's go. And then Jesus weans him into what's going to be suffering in this thing. It's going to be, and when it comes to the test, Peter backs out. Nope. Uh, cross? No, no, we're not going there. And then Peter changes and he matures and he grows up. And he makes this this question. How do I follow, love, know, and glorify Jesus? And how do I love and serve others? You remember me bringing up this verse that spoke to my dad when he had prostate cancer. And that I've kind of hung on to because something my dad faced when he had faced the prostate cancer. So I was facing prostate cancer. I was like, what did God say to him? Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter's question changed. And my dad's question changed. From how do I get healed and survive and avoid pain to how do I glorify God? And I forgot to tell you the conclusion to that story last time I told it a few weeks ago. My dad lived another 21 years. He had surgery at, at 70. He, he never had cancer again. He lived to 91. Um, and it seems like that's the direction God's living. So you've probably stuck with me for a while. And then you voted me in again, too. So I, I don't know what you're thinking. Um, praying for me and voting me in. Um, 
it seems like I'm going to have to figure out how to glorify God in my life. Even with facing some, some difficult... And how to follow Jesus. Is that a better question? Then my dad's verse was, I want to know God and the power in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. I want to know God. And when he died, my son Isaac said, just think how he's knowing Jesus now. Because his last time we saw him, he said, I know Jesus better now than I did at the beginning of the year. So if that's your question, then you can go through pain and suffering and waiting and still be glorifying God, knowing God. You see how the question matters. I was talking to a good friend who's thinking about divorce. And it makes a difference if the question is, how do I get a good marriage? Or the question is, how do I love my husband or my wife? Or how do I obey Jesus? How do I fulfill my vows? If those are different questions, then how do I get a good marriage? Not, not that the other questions are bad, but you get what I'm saying? The question we ask matters. So, we're looking at, a, back to Acts, we're looking at this time between Acts 8 and Acts 12, where the church moves out of a Jewish, almost Jewish-only Jerusalem-based church to a multi-ethnic church for the nations in Antioch and beyond Damascus. And so we're in this passage. We're looking specifically now, the point of this passage, the section we're looking at is Jesus defeats the powers, the rebellious powers, the evil powers through dependent followers, powerless followers like Peter. And three specific stories about Peter about him confronting disease and death. The question is, who has life? About alienation of other nations. Who does God love? And then political idolatry and who is king? So, here we're going to the text. Sorry we took so long on the big picture, but go with me to the text. Acts 9, 32 to 43. As Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the Lord's people who lived in Lydda. Notice that Peter is imitating Jesus. He's traveling about the country. He's not actually church planting. He's going to find where these churches have been planted, like he did with Samaria and Philip. And he's encouraging the Lord's people. There he found a man named Aeneas, who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Notice where the power comes, where the glory goes to. Jesus Christ heals you. Get up. And roll up your mat. And that word is, rise up. Be resurrected. It's that resurrection life. Get up and roll up your mat. Immediately, Aeneas got up. All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. The king. The Jesus. Right? The result was turning to the Lord. And there's no opposition like there sometimes is. Like last time he healed the lame man, right? Got himself in a lot of trouble. Um, in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. Now, why does he mention both names here? They both mean gazelle. We'll find out why in a little bit. She was always doing good and helping the poor. I want you to notice something. Luke likes to match up healing of a man and a woman. And he's taking longer on the woman. And Luke is making a point that women are disciples. Women are not just along for the ride. They are disciples. And they are doing what Jesus did. A little bit later, 
uh, uh, I think it's Peter that says, Jesus went about doing good and helping the poor is key. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Women matter. Women's bodies matter. Even old women's bodies matter. They were cared for. Amen. Lydia was near Joppa. Jesus loves women. So when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. This poor woman is important somehow. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the windows, all the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. They were saying, hey, look, she made this for me. And somebody else said, and, and this, she made this for me. She, I was in tatters, I was naked, and she, she covered me with this. They were experiencing her love. She obviously didn't have a lot of money. She wasn't giving up, but she could sew. If I had a needle, I'd sew in the morning. She was using what she had and sewing. Widows matter. The marginalized, the poor, the single women. Whoever they are matter to Jesus. And they need to matter to us. Remember, we already talked about the widows back in Jerusalem, right? Here they come up again. The new temple, the people of God, is where people are supposed to experience generosity and healing, and they're experiencing it from this woman, Tabitha. Um, and, you know, I want to thank you guys for the giving that you did to widows in Tanzania. $1,600 came from the kids, and you all helping them. Go to widows and orphans in Tanzania, and that was topped up by Orphans Joy with another sixteen thousand for for orphans there, and that's great giving. And, and this week I got a thank you note from one of us from the Benevolence, and they asked for some money that they really needed, and we gave them four times as much, and they said thank you so much, and they they were really grateful. They've given so much to our community, and we were able to give back to them. So in different ways, you guys are helping, and I know individually. You guys are doing things with relationships one-on-one -on -one, that, are, that are really special. And, and I want to encourage you that Tabitha didn't have much, but she did what she could. My, my sister, um, well, one of my sisters was widowed 19 years ago. My sister, Linda, my sister Linda was widowed eight years ago. Kirby Smith, who used to be part of this congregation, a few of you will remember him from the 70s, um, Terry Smith's brother, uh, died. And uh, so she was left a widow in her, in her 50s. And I uh, had an open-heart surgery a few weeks later and said it didn't matter because she didn't care if she lived or died. Um, but in that process, she learned about how she was going to handle this. And because of that, going to grief share and other things, she, she at some point she thought, you know, God's comforting me, and with the comfort I receive, I'll need to comfort some other people. And it'll be interesting to see how that happens. And one of her friends, Mary Beth, lost her husband. And she left what she was doing, went to the funeral and said, you know, Mary Beth, I think we're going to become good friends because we're going to need to support each other. Mary Beth ended up moving in with her for a few months to get mentored into how to be a widow. Mary Beth's a counselor. She's got a lot of skills, but facing it herself was a different story. And she and Mary Beth started doing some stuff with something called the Widow's Project. And then uh, they, they actually wrote a, a book, Don't Lose Heart for Widows. Their latest one, uh, edited by them, just came out. 
And, uh, and the director resigned, so now they're the co-directors of the Widows Project. And there's people in Mexico and France and all over who are part of these groups and uh, prayer things. Just out of what? Receiving the flow of God, his comfort, and overflowing to others who need that same comfort. And she, Linda is such a joyful person. And when I say, would you pray for this? I know she's going to pray for it. And she's going to ask me later, so how's that going? That's on my list. What's been happening? Some of you are on the list. <laughs> and uh, she's praying for you. Um, so whatever you can do, you don't have to be Peter to be a disciple. Okay? Um, so Peter went with them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. I want you to notice that Peter is dependent. He said, Jesus heals you. In this situation, he prays and says, Jesus, what am I supposed to do here? What are you doing? What is Jesus doing? What would Jesus do? What is Jesus doing now? And if you'll notice, Peter does exactly what he saw Jesus do. Luke 5 is what same thing happened with the lame man. Peter was doing that. Just what Jesus did with the lame man. Now he's, he's saying, now what did Jesus do when there was a dead person? <laughs> um, so turning toward the wo dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. Be a, rise up. Be risen. And notice in Mark 5.41, it says, Talitha kum. Here Peter says, Tabitha kum. There's one letter change. Talitha means little girl in Aramaic. So I think this is why the, the name is put in in Aramaic, because Luke is making a point. Jesus is doing this through Peter. Peter is doing what he saw Jesus do. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. She mattered to Jesus. She mattered to the widows. She mattered to Peter. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. Now, Peter's getting on the edge here, staying with a tanner. who's kind of unclean. We'll talk about that next time. But I just want you to notice... And here's my real question for you. Four or five questions. How can I and how can we be like Peter and Tabitha? How can we follow Jesus? How can we follow Jesus' example? For example, Luke 5 and Luke 8 are examples of Jesus doing the same thing. Raising up a lame man, raising up a, a dead girl. And Peter does exactly that. Or Jesus does exactly that through Peter. Again, Luke was what Jesus began to do and teach. Acts is what he continues to do and teach. How can we depend upon Jesus? It wasn't what Peter did. Peter didn't have any power. How can we depend on Jesus' power? Jesus heals you, he says. He prayed. It wasn't something he came up with. It wasn't his magic words. It wasn't his great faith. It was Jesus. How can we depend upon Jesus? How can we proclaim Jesus? Proclaim his resurrection life. And when he said, rise up, 
the same word that's used for Jesus' resurrection. Intentionally, by Luke. This is resurrection life coming to the lame and the dead. And give me the next one there. Um, okay, our, our PowerPoint needs to be healed, too. How can we glorify Jesus is the next question. Oh, my. How can we glorify Jesus? Remember, we talked about that's the real question. And notice that nobody goes into, wow, Peter's amazing. We should follow Peter. No, people turned to the Lord. People believed in the Lord. This is not about healing evangelists and how wonderful they are, or this church or that church or that revival. This is about Jesus and glorifying Jesus. And how can we witness to Jesus and welcome those who believe in and turn to the Lord? The Lord Jesus. So, health, healing, life. What's your question? More important, what's your next action? Maybe it's listening to Jesus to see what kind of answer he's going to give to your question. Maybe it's coming up here and being prayed for. We've got some anointing oil here. I'm going to ask the elders of the church. I'm going to actually ask the worship team to come up. And the elders to come up and be prepared to pray for people. Brenda, why don't you come up too? Dan, why don't you come up as well? Sarah, come on up. Tom and Millie, come on up. We're here to pray for you. Not because we've got any magic. Just because Jesus said, call the elders of the church. If you're online, I'm going to pray for you too. You probably have to text it in. Um, or email it if you're watching this later. We're going to pray. So I'm going to invite you to come up and be prayed for if you need healing. Or be prayed for if you have a question. Or maybe you have another question or issue. Another way that you need salvation and hope. So... I'm going to welcome you to do that. We're going to pray. We're going to go into worship. And 2022 is another year for healing community. God is still here. He's still healing. He's still going to heal us. He's in the process of healing both us and our community and making us a community that heals and a community that can heal our community. I'm going to invite you to also invite people to come back to church where healing happens just in the community. So let's pray together and then we're going to worship together and we're going to pray together. We're going to go to the life giver. Lord, we thank you that you are the only creator, life giver, healer, hope that we have. Thank you for all the ways that you heal us for for treatments that, that have been enabled through the hospitals and doctors that came from 
following your example, the, the science that came from following your word, the other things. But well, Lord, we know that you alone are the healer. Forgive us for our arrogance when we think we're doing fine. Thank you that each breath comes from you. We thank you for each breath. We ask you now that you'd help us to ask the right questions. How can we follow you? How can we depend upon you? How can we glorify you? How can we love those around us? How can we love one another in this community and in our community? Jesus, we are dependent upon you. And you are totally able to do all and beyond all we can ask or think. So we welcome you now to meet with us as we worship you, as we pray together. Help us to see you, to witness you and what you are doing, and enter into that. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.